Chapter 8 of Tea, Its Mystery and History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tea, Its Mystery and History by Samuel Phillips Day. Chapter 8, The Drink of Health. Now that the benefits derived from the use of tea can be fairly estimated, it may be said in the language of an eminent statesman, what was first regarded as a luxury has now become, if not an absolute necessity, at least one of our accustomed daily wants, the loss of which would cause more suffering and excite more regret than would the deprivation of many things which once were counted necessaries of life consumed by all classes, serving not simply as an article of diet, but as a refreshing and invigorating beverage, tea cannot be too highly estimated. The wisdom of successive financiers and the enterprise of generations of merchants have combined to deliver tea in this country at a price which brings it within the reach of every individual, making it perhaps the only real luxury which is common to rich and poor alike. In noticing Dr. Johnston's work entitled The Chemistry of Common Life, the Edinburgh Review thus emphatically attests the great boon which tea confers upon the people. It remarks, By her fireside, in her humble cottage, the lonely widow sits, the kettle simmers over the ruddy embers, and the blackened teapot and the hot brick prepares her evening drink. Her crust of bread is scanty, yet as she sips the warm beverage, little sweetened, it may be with the produce of the sugar-cane, genial thoughts awaken in her mind. Her cottage grows less dark and lonely, and comfort seems to enliven the ill-furnished cabin. When our suffering and wounded soldiers are brought down frozen and bleeding from the trenches before Sebastopol to the port of Balaclava, the most welcome relief to their sufferings was a pint of hot tea, which was happily provided for them. Whence this great solace to the weary and worn? Why out of scanty earnings does the ill-fed and lone one cheerfully pay for the seeming unnourishing weekly allowance of tea? From whatever open fountain does the daily comfort flow, which the teacup gently brings to the careworn and the weak? Anon! referring to the chemical action of two important agents present in tea, thein and volatile oil, the same excellent authority gives the following account of their operations on a human organism. The thein is a substance possessing tonic or strengthening qualities, but distinguished particularly by the property of retarding the natural waste of the human body. Most people are now aware that the chief necessity for food arises from the gradual and constant wearing away of the tissues and solid parts of the body. To repair and restore on the worn and wasted parts, food must be constantly eaten and digested, and the faster the waste, the larger the quantity of food must be daily be consumed, to make up for the loss which this waste occasions. Now the introduction of a certain quantity of thein into the stomach lessens the amount of waste which in similar circumstances would otherwise naturally take place. It makes the ordinary food consumed along with it go farther, 
Therefore, or more correctly, lessens the quantity of food necessary to be eaten in a given time. A similar effect, in a somewhat less degree, is produced by the volatile oil, and therefore the infusion of tea, in which both these ingredients of the leaf are contained, affects the rapidity of the natural waste in the tea drinker in a very marked manner. As age creeps on, the powers of digestion diminish with the failing of the general vigour, till the stomach is no longer able to digest and appropriate new food as fast as the body wears away. When such is the case, to lessen the waste is to aid the digestive powers in maintaining the strength and bulk of the weakening frame. It is no longer wonderful, therefore, says our author, that tea should be the favourite on the one hand with the poor, whose supplies of substantial food are scanty, and on the other with the aged and infirm, especially of the feebler sex, whose powers of digestion and whose bodily substance have together began to fail. Nor is it surprising that the aged female, whose earnings are barely sufficient to buy what are called the common necessaries of life, should yet spare a portion of her small gains in procuring this grateful indulgence. She can sustain her strength with less common food when she takes her tea, along with it, while she at the same time feels lighter in spirits, more cheerful and fitter for this dull work of life because of this little indulgence. Edinburgh Review, Volume 101, Number 206, April 1855 Such an indispensable article has tea as now become, or to be trebly guarded against all adulteration. While the government is unable to protect the public against the machinations of unscrupulous Chinese merchants, let the public at least endeavour to protect itself. And this it can readily accomplish. Let it but bestow its custom on a trader, upon whose integrity and technical knowledge it can implicitly rely. Let it insist upon having both its black and green teas of the natural hue, without the addition of face, glaze or artificial colour, which but detract from its character and value. How such a discreet selection can be effected has already been pointed out. Houses of repute, such, for example, as that of Messrs. Hoyman and Co., do not conceal their name behind a retailer, but boldly give their own, coupled with a guarantee to every purchaser, however modest his purchase. Hence, consumers may feel assured that in buying indirectly from them, the commodity they obtain will not only be free from adulteration and artificial colour, but will be so carefully selected from the choicest growths, commensurate with the price demanded, as to be always good alike. End of chapter 8